I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies, divisions among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper. One is hungry, one of them is drunken. What? Do you not have houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God? Shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord's Table, or Lord's Supper, is the time when the believer can enter into the presence of God to remember the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a memorial and a worship, not a ritual or an ordinance. It is the Church's proclamation of the Savior and His finished work until He comes. Our study today continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Dr. Mitchell will be looking at verses 17 through 25. The Apostle Paul once again confronts this church concerning their division. His focus is on the instructions concerning order at the Lord's table. Well, here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you and we're studying together the book of Corinthians, the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthian church. I sincerely hope that these studies in Corinthians are becoming a source of real blessing to your own heart and life. You know, it's wonderful for me to sit down here and talk to you, wherever you may be, and find that there's so many things in the Corinthian letter that are apropos with us today in America, in the American church. The Corinthian church possibly was the most carnal of the early churches, and Paul had quite a time with them. Remember, Paul spent two years in Corinth. In fact, when he went down to Corinth, he didn't want to stay there. He wanted to get up and go. And God said, you stay right where you are. You go on. I've got much people in this city. However, it was a, a corrupt city, very, very, very sinful city. A uh, great deal of permissiveness. In fact, their philosophy of life, it was not wrong. Immorality was not a sinful thing to do. That's a perfectly normal thing to do. 
We see that same thing today. I'm sorry to say in our blessed land. And when I think of the permissiveness, the immorality, the corruption today, what a need for those of us who, are, who love the Savior to redeem the time, to bring to some of these men and women the joy of salvation in Christ. My, how wonderful it is to know that we can present to our present generation a Savior who can save men from sin, who can set them free from the bonds and the slavery of sin and give them a peace that passeth all understanding and a joy and a hope that one of these days God's going to take every one of his children, those whom he hath redeemed, and he's going to make them like the Savior. What a prospect. And we're depending, we're banking on the faithfulness of God to do just this thing. But you know, we can glory in the coming of the Lord and forget we've got a responsibility down here. This always gets to my heart. I, I rejoice in the coming of the Lord to live daily in anticipation of seeing the Savior. My, what a prospect. What a joy to see him whom having not seen we love. This one who loved us enough to come down here and bear all our sin, put them all away, cover us with the righteousness of God, accepted in the beloved, and then to come into his presence and see him face to face and be like him. You know, it's wonderful. And as long as we're down here, you and I who love the Savior, we've got a tremendous responsibility to relate to others the wonderful gospel of his love. It's true, most of us, we get a little shy. Sometimes we give our testimony or we try to talk to people and, you know, you haven't said half a dozen words before, you know, you're not warranted. They don't want to hear your testimony. They're indifferent to it. They're cold to it. Some are very, uh, shall I say, antagonistic to it. So big it. We're still down here. And you see, Mr. Mitchell, but you know, I can't do very much. Do you know, I'm going to tell you something. I rejoice. I rejoice when I get mail from some of you shut-ins, some of you up in years. And yet, you write me a wee letter, tell me how much you pray for us. Boy, that encourages me. Wherever you are, you've got a job, either by witnessing, praying, by interest, by giving, by all that you do for the glory of God. Remember, do it for the glory of God. I better get back to Corinthians, hadn't I? But I just feel like talking to you about the Savior. He's just so wonderful. He's just so marvelous. I can never get over his faithfulness to me and to mine. What a Savior we have. He's faithful to you. In fact, that's his name. When you come back to Revelation chapter 9, he's faithful and true. Every word he has said, he will fulfill. Every promise he has made, he will keep. For he said, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they're life. How wonderful. How wonderful. Now let's get back to Corinthians, shall we? We've been discussing in the first in the first 16 verses of this chapter 
The question of woman in her relationship to man, man in his relationship to Christ, and Christ in his relationship to, to God the Father. That the head of, of Christ was his father. The head of man was Christ. The head of the woman is the man. It's not a question of superiority it's a question or of inferiority. It's a question of cooperation for a purpose, order, the order in the assembly. It's so easy to have disorder. We have order in the assembly. And apparently at Corinth, maybe the women were getting out of order. So Paul had to take out, have to say a word about it. And remember, the head of man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. Question of order. One complementing the other. Just as our Lord was not inferior to his father, but he took the place of order, that he might perform the will of his Father. I do always the things that please him. Now the man is responsible to his head, Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, my friend, if you've been joined to him, Christ is your head. You are responsible to him, to please him, to obey him. Just as the Lord's love for his Father was displayed by obedience Likewise, our love for the Savior is evident by obedience. Now with the woman, the head of the woman is the man. And so she's in that place, not of inferiority, mark you. Again, I say it's a question of order, that God may be glorified. And the heavenly hosts will recognize that woman is still in the place that God created her not in a place of inferiority, equality, for the purpose of doing a job for the magnifying of our Savior. But, says Paul, if this is going to cause any problems, if it's going to cause dissension, if you're going to be contentious, we don't have any custom like that. We don't want anything to break the unanimity of spirit and purpose in the assembly. Now, from verse 17 down through verse 22, he begins to take up, in fact, from here to the end of the chapter, from 17 to the end of the chapter, he takes up the order at the Lord's table. But first of all, he takes up the fact that there, there was much disorder in the Corinthian church among them. Verses 17 to 22. Now in this I pray, I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies, divisions among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper. One is hungry. Listen to this terrible thing. One of them is drunken. What? Do you not have houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God? Shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Notice in the beginning of the chapter, he praised them because they'd kept the, the ordinances and because they remembered Paul in verse 2. I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things. But now he says, 
I praise you not. In verse 17, in this I declare unto you, I praise you not. Likewise in verse 22, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. What's the matter here? You remember there were two feasts. They had what they called the agape. That is the love feast. First, followed by the Lord's table. Now the love feast was for fellowship one with another. And then you have the Lord's table. You remember uh, when our Lord instigated the remembrance, the memorial, if I can use that term, uh, whether you take it in Matthew or whether you take it in Luke or in John, they had had their love feast. And then you remember during supper or as one version says, at supper being ended, then the Lord stood up and took the bread and took the cup. Do this in remembrance of me. But they had their love feast, agape feast first. And the problem was that there was such disorder and such factions at the, at the love feast, they were not fit to come together and remember the Lord's death till he came. For example, have you not houses? Verse 21, for in eating every one taketh before the other his own supper. One is hungry, another is drunken. What? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Are you going to despise the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you on this? I praise you not. You see, it was impossible for them to remember the Lord's death because of the factions, the fightings, you see. Remember when you come to the Lord's table, we are remembering that we are one body. We are one in Christ. But here they were fighting. They were having bickerings. They were feasting themselves and even some getting drunk. And Paul says, I praise you not. You know, I remember some time in a, a city in the Pacific Northwest in a certain group of God's people. They'd been having a little problem. They were fighting among themselves and they gathered for the Lord's table. And one of the elder brother, one of the older brethren, walked up to the front and picked up the bread and the wine and walked out of the room with it, signifying they were in no shape spiritually to remember the Lord's death. I'm telling you, this is a serious matter. And this is what you have at Corinth. When we come to the Lord's table, we come to worship. We come to adore. We come to remember him. We come to magnify our Savior. It's the one service of the Christian church. If there's any service that's full of worship and love and praise and adoration, it's at the Lord's table. How can you come to your love feast and fight among yourselves? Some of you eat and gorge yourselves and some are without. Some of you are drunken. How can you sit down at the Lord's table? I praise you not. Then Paul turns around and gives to us this remembrance. Starting in at verse 23 and running right down to the end of the chapter. 
the instructions on the Lord's Supper. Now, before I do that, I want to repeat what I've been saying. We do not have these love feasts that they had at Corinth before the breaking of bread, before the remembrance of the Lord's death and resurrection. It had become it had become a situation where they were not fit to come and worship the Lord. So he again begins to give them, refreshes their memory. He had already given to them how they should conduct themselves at the Lord's table. And seeing how they were living and what they were doing, he rebuked them. Now he repeats what he had already given to them. Allow me to read it to you. I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread, drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this cause, many are weak, many sickly among you, many sleep, that is, many die. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation or unto judgment. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Now, here you have instructions concerning the Lord's table. Suppose I just take one or two of them today. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We remember the death of our Savior for us. And when he took the bread, he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. When I take the bread, I'm reminded I have absolute access into the presence of God because of the Lord giving up his life on earth for you and for me. You remember in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, where the, where the Apostle Paul speaks of the fact that we have access into the presence of God the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Listen to it. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us 
through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with full assurance of faith. I'm, I'm quoting from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Running from about verse 20 down to verse 22. You see, 19 to 22. Yeah, this question of coming into the presence of God. And every time we pick up the bread and eat it together, we are not only recognizing our oneness in Christ, one body, one love, but also we are recognizing that we have access into the very presence of God. Do you mean, sir, that you can come right into the very presence of a holy, righteous God? Yes. And at the Lord's table, we are remembering. This is a memorial, the only memorial he gave us. Do this in remembrance of me. When I take the bread, I'm reminded of the fact that all believers are one in Christ. We are one body. And his body was broken for us to give us access, as Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. But how can you stand in the presence of God? Well, I read that he also, in verse 25, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you eat it, in remembrance of me. And when we take the wine, we remember his blood that was shed for us, which makes us fit for the presence of God. One could speak of the value of the blood of Christ. You know, like one woman said to a pastor after he'd been preaching on the blood of Christ that morning, she said to him, Pastor, I wish you wouldn't talk about the blood of Christ. It's nauseating to ladies and gentlemen. And he said, that's right, lady. He didn't die for ladies and gentlemen. He died for lost sinners. Oh, how wonderful. The Lord Jesus died for you and for me. We were sinners. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. He bought us with his own blood from the markets of sin. As Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 says, he entered once into the holy place with his own blood and there obtained for us an eternal redemption. So we can sing it, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy as child and forever I am. So as we take the precious cup, we remember his death, we remember the blood that was shed for us and I'm also reminded, not only on the ground of that shed blood do we have forgiveness and redemption, an eternal, complete redemption, but on the ground of that shed blood we stand before God in all the righteousness of Christ. As Romans 5, 9 says, much more being now declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I'm going to stop here. I just want this to be clear in your mind that when you and I sit down at the Lord's table, if there's any service in the Christian evangelical church where we really meet around the person of Christ, worship him, adore him, sing his praise, magnify him, 
It's at the Lord's table. How wonderful. Oh, friend, I just trust that when you and I come to the next opportunity we have of sitting at the Lord's table, it'll be a time of real worship. Forget yourself. Forget what you think you are and what you do or what you have done. And just be occupied with our precious Savior to magnify him, to worship him, to love him. And to remember, it was through that precious work of Christ we're being made one, one in him. And just trust that the Lord will make himself so precious to you that the next time you sit down as a Christian, and this is only for Christians, to sit down at the Lord's table, you do it with a heart of real worship and praise to him. Now the Lord wonderfully bless you today. And read that passage, will you, for our next lesson in Corinthians chapter 11. And may the Lord bless you for his name's sake. He was there all the time. He was there all the time. Waiting patiently in He was there. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at town.